This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. Here are a few values that define the airline industry. Trust, safety, openness, and cooperation. Regrettably, all those traditions and the industry itself fell under attack on Tuesday when two bombs exploded at Brussels Airport. An hour later, at a Brussels metro station near the headquarters of the European Commission, another bomb exploded. The attacks combined killed more than 30 and left nearly 200 injured. The terrorist group ISIS took responsibility for the attacks, and Islamic extremism was indeed the direction investigators were looking, with at least some of the bombs apparently being detonated by suicide bombers. Because the targets included an airport, the Brussels attacks may prove to be something different for the airline industry, even different from other equally horrific attacks we've seen in recent weeks in Ankara and, of course, before that, Paris. For the airline industry, these attacks could mean security changes. It will definitely affect business in the short term. How about the long term? I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the indispensable Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about the impact of these attacks on the industry and how they affect exposed airlines such as Brussels Airlines and Lufthansa. We're sidestepping the cheery intro music this week, so let's get right to it. Seth, in addition to the human toll, what kind of impact will this have on the industry? Well, it, it could be the worst thing for the industry since 9-11. Emphasis there on could, but you know what's different about this from oh, you know, the Paris attacks or, or the, the London bombings back a decade ago, uh, you know, is that here you do have an airport involved, uh, you know, and, and that could mean new security measures, costly, perhaps new security measures. We'll have to see here, you know, what, what, what the fallout is. If that were to be the case, you could have cost issues here on top of demand and thus revenue issues, which, you know, to one degree or another, you're almost uh, certainly going to have, uh, you know, there's, there's also um, perhaps this sense that, uh, you know, whereas when it was Paris, OK, maybe things were contained to Paris. You know, you could imagine people planning to visit Europe this summer saying, well, you know, what's next? You, you know, it feels a little bit less contained. And there I'm going to emphasize the word I said summer. That, too, different here from the Paris attacks. You know, if you had to pick the, the worst day of the year when this could happen in terms of demand, uh, you know, I'm not sure you could have picked much, well, better from the perspective of the terrorists or worse from the perspective of the rest of us than, than when this occurred because, you know, we're, we're really right into summer booking season right here, particularly in terms of long-haul journeys to Europe, you know, people who are, uh, you know, booking oh, Ryanair, EasyJet for, for uh, shorter holidays this summer, perhaps would be doing that later in some cases. But yeah, in terms of somebody in the, in the North America or Asia planning a trip to Europe, you know, now is about when they're doing that. Uh, and, uh, you know, there will unquestionably be some kind of impact on demand. The question is, uh, you know, how quickly it'll bounce back. You know, will, will the summer be salvageable? Uh, you know, or will the summer, which is so important, uh, particularly for European airlines in terms of determining profits for the year. I mean, last year, uh, you know, it was the summer that carried the day for, for all of them. And that's always the case to varying degrees. So uh, they will uh, be looking closely at, at uh, you know, booking trends here in the next couple of days and hoping to see a rebound. Because if, if they lose the summer, then, then you're just looking at a, a perhaps a really bad year, despite 
low fuel prices and and other things that had them in the case of the European airlines thinking that perhaps uh, they might be turning the corner. I agree with you that the involvement of an airport does change things. But I imagine some listeners are saying, what about the airport attack in Moscow in 2011? Or even the Malaysian airliner being shot down over the Ukraine? Yeah, but, uh, you know, Westerners do in their minds sometimes uh, separate uh, the West from everything else. And, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned in the intro Ankara, for example, not at an airport, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just different when when something happens in in Europe. Uh, And and this is really the the first large scale attack on a Western airport in memory, Uh, you know, obviously at high profile attacks on 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 the aviation industry most notably 911 but not only that um but yeah in terms of an attack like this on an airport you, you know uh, i mean look this is what's happened uh you know airside is is you know fortunately more secure than it used to be so uh no real surprise here that you know that that the terrorists are going after what you know would have become known as sort of soft targets but yeah no that this this is different uh you know how different we'll have to see uh you, you know ho- hopefully you know people kind of compartmentalize things and say okay maybe uh things aren't so good in in, in brussels but maybe it's still uh, safe to go elsewhere and, and of course you, know, you, you want to see brussels itself rebound as as quickly as possible but uh, yeah you, you could imagine this being worse than most of those other incidents that, that I mentioned before uh, and that you just mentioned between the combination of it being an airport in that sense different from uh, you know the, the London tube bombings or, or the Paris attacks late last year and the fact that it's an airport not in Moscow but but uh, in the very heart of Europe uh, you know Europe, Europe's capital uh, in terms of the European Union how much does momentum play here since we had the Paris attacks, and then we have uh, the attacks in Ankara. You know, it's reasonable to conclude that security is no longer a certainty. Yeah, and, you know, of course that was always the case. But yeah, uh, as I mentioned before, um, you know, particularly, you know, I don't know that what happened in Ankara impacts demand all that much to uh, to let's say Western Europe. I mean, it certainly impacts demand to Turkey, and that's that's that's. Uh, you know something that's the, the. I mean, you can only imagine the demand deterioration that's going on there. But but yeah, Western Europe. Partly, it is just kind of the accumulation. Now now look, you know, Brussels has been in focus already prior to these attacks. I mean, there was the, the very happy news that you know one of the uh, masterminds, alleged masterminds of, of the Paris attacks, was taken into custody late last week in Brussels. Uh, and very clearly, there were these ties uh, between what happened in Paris to perhaps terrorist cells operating in, in Brussels already. So that's not news, but here you have now uh, this this very devastating attack in a city other than Paris. And so maybe per se, it shouldn't impact somebody's decision about, you know, going and visiting, you know, Rome or Madrid or wherever else they were planning to go. But uh, yeah, there, there's, you could envision that, that sense of, you know, gosh, where, uh, where can I be safe? You know, even though the reality obviously is that as awful as these things are, in all likelihood, of course, you you are going to be safe. Uh, you know, it's in the end just statistically very unlikely that something will happen to a given person. But uh, you know, statistics and and the rest of it don't overcome for a lot of people that that very understandable uh, emotional reaction that they're going to have to something like this. Because gosh, uh, those were some awful scenes uh, at the airport as well as in the metro. 
The bombs went off in the check-in area at Brussels Airport. Obviously, this was landside and thus really not exposed to all that much airport security. Do you expect that to change now? Well, yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I have to tell you, Jason, you know, for years, people in the industry have been talking about this. You know, the, the vulnerability now was precisely that, you know, because what you've done is, uh, by, you know, by securing airside in the way that we've done it, you know, you now have, well, one thing is, you know, just longer lines outside uh, security as people go through those security measures. And so, uh, you know, one thing I've heard, you know, just, just over, over the past decade or so is people say, hey, just those security lines themselves are a vulnerability. You know, just all these people waiting to go through security, but by definition, haven't been uh, screened already. Uh, you know, in this case, they didn't precisely target uh, the, the security lines, but, um, but, but yeah, you know, same idea. Just, just uh, lots of people out there who who have not been screened. Uh, you know, there there are airports where you go through some kind of screening or another uh, j- just to go into into the departures area. For uh, for example, you know, gosh, Istanbul comes to mind as one where even before everything that's going on now, uh, there was not a not a not the same kind of rigorous screening that you would undergo to. Uh, to get airside, but you know they would they would check you, you know, put your bags through a uh, through an X-ray machine. So, but yeah, by and large, you know, it, it, these are areas that have been pretty easy to access, and you know, we'll see uh, what what the what the reaction is because um, you know clearly uh, some some vulnerability there. You know, the question would be whether securing that uh, would actually save lives or would just you know just just sort of push out the barriers somewhere else. But you can imagine that. You know, it, it's going to be hard to not address this in 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 some way. And and uh, Jason, I got to say, you know, it it, it always kind of seems to come down to intelligence. You know, to 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 national intelligence. You know, when when you think about what went wrong on 9/11, you know, the reaction to 9/11 was to fortify the security checkpoints uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere. You know, the U.S. federalized its its security, created the TSA and all that. But the failure on 9-11 was not a failure at the security checkpoint. Uh, you know, those box cutters were legal on that day. Uh, so, so, you know, those, you know, for, for all their faults, those security contractors didn't really fail, you know, in terms of enforcing what they're supposed to enforce. The failure was national security. You know, the failure was that you had these people out there uh, interested in learning how to fly planes but not land them and everything, and you know, just sort of all these all these data points that were out there, and it never came together, uh, you know, into something that could that could prevent that. Uh, you know, security on the ground matters, obviously. Uh, you know, you have to secure the airports, but um, you know, if you, if you think about the failures, I mentioned 9-11, uh, that's not the only one. And the successes, you know, when you think about those, uh, oh, about a decade back, the, the series of transatlantic flights that were all supposed to be bombed out of, uh, you know, leaving leaving uh, Heathrow. Uh, and that's what resulted in the, in the controls on what kind of liquids you could bring on board. You know, so that success, too, that was about intelligence. You know, they didn't stop that threat at the airport. Uh, in that case, it was security operatives uh, working well together successfully to uh, to stop that. So uh, having said all that, though, obviously there will be pressure uh, to do something about, about security itself at the airport. But do you expect extensive security changes? Well, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's just too early to say. I, I mean, you're going to have calls for that, you know, um, you know, you're going to have people saying, how, you know, how, how, how could that have happened? How could we not 
screen people on on their way in. And, uh, you know, as always, it'll it'll just be about balancing people's freedom and the rest of it with uh, with security. Everybody's going to say, you know, we cost is not an object and, and, and we, we should do absolutely everything we can to be secure. But we all understand that there that there is a trade off, you know, and that, uh, you know, every time we all leave our homes, you know, we take certain risks. Uh, that we wouldn't take if we stayed home, but uh, you know, it wouldn't be a very fulfilling life if we stayed home. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, all the stakeholders are, are going to have to be um, weighing all of that and then trying again to create a situation where, uh, you know, where where the terrorists don't win, you know, by forcing us to, uh, to to live an unfulfilling life, but where we can be reasonably safe. Where do you think this will rank with other attacks and other demand shocks in terms of the industry impact? Well, the fact precisely that that there could be some new costs involved, depending on what happens on the security side, means that it'll have to rank fairly high. You know, some of the bigger demand shocks have actually been these health pandemics, which sometimes don't in reality turn out to be all that bad, but the scare uh, has 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 a big uh, impact. You know, SARS would be one in the years uh, after 9/11. There was the uh, the the avian flu. Some of those, you know if not most of them, uh, don't actually turn out to be all that bad in terms of impact, but they scare away a lot of people. Uh, you know, ironically, the one that kind of was worse than the others in terms of killing uh, a fair number of people, Ebola, uh, didn't have as big an impact on the global industry, uh, you know, because it was in Africa where, uh, you know, where, where there's just less economic activity, just, you know, I mean, it had a huge impact in, in Africa, but that's just as a percentage of, of, uh, of global activity in the airline industry, just don't mean this insensitively, but just less important as a percentage of of, of uh, you know dollars in in the industry. Even though that one was was uh, was really terrible. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, aside from 9/11, you have uh, you've had these regional issues. You know, the bombings in Bali, uh, you know, Indonesia, which certainly had a big impact uh, regionally. But um, you know, here this attack on a Western airport. You could envision it, um, you know, having a more meaningful impact on demand uh, than Paris, as I mentioned, than the London two bombings. Um, and you could also envision it, envision it perhaps having a meaningful impact on the cost side, you know, which which isn't, you know, largely the case with with some of those, you know, with, with the pandemics and, and so forth. Those were those were more demand issues. Having said that, Jason, you know, it, it's it's always hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. I mean, look, it's indisputable that this is uh, this is going to matter in terms of demand. And like I said, just the fact that you're dealing now with summertime bookings, uh, just almost by definition, you know, makes it worse than the timing of the Paris attacks. But uh, I mentioned Paris and I mentioned London. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I can explain, for example, why Paris seemed to have had a considerably more significant impact than the London tube bombings um, a, a decade earlier. You know, I remember right when Paris happened, the first thing I did was go back and look at, okay, well, what, what kind of impacted airlines um, report back then, you know, back when London happened? And, and it was rather modest for whatever reason. I mean, it was awful, you know, scores of people dead and, and uh, you know, very high profile target, you know, the, the tube, uh, you know, the underground in London. And yet for, for whatever reason that had, uh, by all accounts, a more minimal impact. And Paris, you know, a lot of airlines have, have reported, yeah, this is, um, uh, this has been meaningfully bad. Uh, you know, I mean, it didn't, didn't destroy anybody's year, uh, financially, but, um, but, you know, but, but, but a significant impact, you know, at least there for, for a month or two and maybe a less significant impact, 
even beyond that for uh, for some that are that are particularly exposed, you know, Air France, KLM, uh, especially, but not only. And how are you feeling overall? And how optimistic are you? Where do you think we'll be in a year? Well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like a lot of things um, that if, if you could give me answers to some questions that don't have answers yet, well, then I could then I could tell you that. Right. It's it, uh, uh, this this will be a problem for the industry, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and there's there will be demand that'll go away that that won't be recaptured. I mean, you know, there's going to be somebody who was going to you know take a trip from the U.S. to Europe this summer uh, who isn't going to do that. Um, and it just isn't going to spend as much money with, with the industry either. But by the way, I just mentioned U.S. to Europe. I mean, one other shame of this for the industry is that, the, you know, the point of sale right now has shifted more toward the U.S. in terms of transatlantic because the dollar is strong, the euro is weak. So, you know, this was really shaping up to be, uh, you know, perhaps a really strong summer for uh, transatlantic travel originating in the U.S., uh, and and yeah, I, mean, I don't want to sit here and proclaim that it's, that that uh, it still can't be okay, but yeah, you know, to one degree or another, uh, th- this is this is going to impact that. But you know, whether a year from now it still matters, the long term impact could be uh, on the cost side if there are big changes, you know, in, ter- in terms of the way that uh, land side at airports is, is secured. All right, let's move on to one airline group that's very much exposed to the Brussels market, and that's Lufthansa. They finally reported earnings last week. In the fourth quarter, they posted a 1% operating margin and just a 5% margin for the year. They are severely underperforming their peers, and this is an airline group that doesn't need more bad news. Yeah, it doesn't indeed. Um, yeah, they, they did beat Air France KLM uh, for, for the year anyway, although the, the fourth quarter was, was just as bad. Yeah, no, they, they, they certainly didn't need this. And uh, they are uh, a 45% owner also of Brussels Airlines, you know, which, which is the airline that will be the most impacted by, by what has just happened. And so, uh, yeah, no, awful, awful news um, for, for uh, Lufthansa. By the way, if you're kind of ranking, if you're looking at, you know, airline groups exposure to, uh, to Brussels, um, you know, maybe including their, their uh, transatlantic joint venture partners, that definitely has uh, the most exposure. Lufthansa Group, including the ownership stake in Brussels, but also just Lufthansa Airlines themselves all fly there. United, has, uh, I, was, I was actually surprised with this many. I looked it up, uh, you know, four flights a day to Brussels during the summer per uh, DOME schedule data. Um, uh, you know, Air Canada flies there from uh, from Montreal. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a Star Alliance market. Then Sky Team uh, second, but of course, if you include the exposure to Paris, you know Sky Team rather impacted, and uh, you know One World kind of the uh, the uh, the least exposure of the three alliances, and, and also including sort of the uh, the joint ventures within those alliances, the uh, the BA Iberia, uh, American Airlines, Finnair joint venture, le- le- less exposed than the others, but yeah, Lufthansa uh, certainly the most exposed. Uh, all very bad news financially for them. In addition, as you mentioned earlier, obviously for, first and foremost to the the human toll. Last quarter, we talked about how Lufthansa simply faces so much competition from a lot of different directions. Is that still the primary problem, or has it become labor? Yeah, can you have can you have more than one primary problem? I guess uh, I guess maybe by definition not, but uh, uh, no, it, it 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 all matters. And uh, yeah, labor, uh, you know. Certainly hard to call a bottom uh, to the uh, to the the labor relations issues. Now, I, I mean, the good news is that I mean, look, the fourth quarter quarter was awful in terms of strikes, and so 
if you can say, well, it, it's probably not always going to be that bad. Um, you know, you're going to have some labor peace here at some point. Um, that's actually a reason for optimism, you know, because because just that alone. Well, you, you take out all that. Um, it, you know, things things would have been better, and things will be better if, if it uh, if it doesn't happen again. But um, uh, they're they're in this whole low cost long haul space now, and just you know, short short haul uh, low low cost operations too. You know, they're they're very bullish on that. They really see you know, even though corporate premium revenue is is uh, disproportionately important, uh, they really believe that leisure uh, is where the growth is, and they they want to position themselves to be able to capture that demand. And you know, we'll we'll see if the if, if they're able to figure out how to do it in a way where the uh, the costs of doing that are aligned with the revenue. Something we don't talk about much on this show is cargo, and cargo actually did well for Lufthansa in the fourth quarter. Have other airlines gotten a lift from cargo lately? Well, yeah, I mean, Lufthansa, relatively, yeah, cargo well, ran the highest margin of any of their uh, sort of flying units, right? But, uh, you know, part of that was just that everything else did so poorly, and, and part of that is that they just, they, they rather dramatically shrank the unit to profitability, uh, just reduced capacity, cargo capacity. And got it to where uh, you know its head is back above water. So yeah, so I mean they did did a good job with that, but you know kind of kind of a lot of caveats there. You know it was it only did relatively well with thanks to all that chopping. Uh, and yeah, you look around the world. I mean, Cathay uh, Pacific just just released their February traffic numbers, and the cargo numbers were really bad. Tire ways, I remember, but that's some pretty bad cargo numbers. So kind of a mixed bag. I mean, yeah, yeah, you'd expect it at some point it, it, it would bottom out, and uh, that's at least a hopeful sign when you see numbers like those from Lufthansa that that could indeed be happening. But you know, probably a long way away from recovery, especially with a lot of new cargo capacity just kind of naturally coming online. You know, every time a 767 is replaced uh, with a Dreamliner, let's say. New cargo capacity comes online because uh, you know one of the big complaints about the 76 is that it uh, it didn't have much cargo capacity and, and you know Boeing to their credit responded to that with a Dreamliner that uh, does have a fair amount of cargo capacity but um, you know there you go just just that kind of uh, that kind of growth the A350s I mean all, you know all, all these new aircrafts were, were designed with the idea of, of uh, you know being able to to carry a fair amount of cargo vis-a-vis the aircraft that they're replacing so yeah it, it's you know it may be bottoming out. But it'll probably be a long time before, you know, cargo is sort of the shining star of airline uh, finances in the same way that it, that it very much was for some airlines uh, up until not too many years ago. Lufthansa's premium economy offering continues to be a bright spot. They said it was their most profitable cabin. Yeah. Uh, look, Lufthansa, interestingly, often sort of a, a, a late adopter. And, and that's not necessarily a criticism, uh, you know. There's, I mean, there's such a thing as an early mover advantage, but there's, there's also such a thing as a late mover advantage. And with premium economy, I mean, they watched kind of everybody else do it first, uh, and they were able to learn from everybody else's successes and mistakes. Uh, they put together a, a product, yeah, that uh, I haven't flown in it, but it, 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 it looks very comfortable, and uh, people seem to like it. And uh, yeah, and and, and uh, sure enough. Yeah, they're, they're reporting that it's doing very, very well. I mean, look, premium economy makes perfect sense. You had this growing gap between between economy, cattle class, which, um, you know, if anything, there's on many airlines less legroom and less elbow room than ever, uh, and these very nice business class products. You know, and Lufthansa is rather nice. And I mean, it just only always made sense that there you know, were a fair number of people out there 
particularly in the developed world, at least. I mean, Turkish is kind of the one maybe uh, exception here that had a bad experience with their premium economy cabin. But uh, but yeah, generally speaking, um, you know, just just yeah, people out there, you know, small businesses as well as well-heeled leisure travelers who are willing to pay something more to be somewhat more comfortable, but you know, can't afford or, or aren't willing to pay uh, for for business class. And so premium economy captures that. And uh, yeah, there was every reason to think that Lufthansa would be an airline that would be well positioned to uh, to to get it right, and and um, they they seem to have done so. Okay, looking forward, Lufthansa is seeking joint ventures with Air China and Singapore Airlines. If those come to pass, what kind of shape will its network be in? Well, you know, this will be very helpful. Um, you would think because you know, joint ventures just just uh, work rather well. You know, Air China is the you know if you had to pick one Chinese airline. That would uh, that would probably be the one, you know, just with with their very nice position in 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 Beijing, you know, just just huge operation, uh, you know, kind of all operating out of one terminal. And if you had to pick one Southeast Asian airline, it would be Singapore Airlines, right? Uh, so so yeah, you know, once those become part of airlines, that basically are able to merge their long haul ventures with Lufthansa, rather than being competitors against Lufthansa in that space, even though there are already alliance partners, yeah. there's every reason to think that that could be uh, that could be a good thing for Lufthansa and, you know, for Air China, too, especially, um, you know, just being able to get some input from Lufthansa. The Chinese airlines benefit when they uh, when they're able to get some some uh, some Western influence. And so, uh, you know, that that that, too, will be will be helpful for them. Every reason to think that uh, that those will be that those will be good. Okay, we'll close with Brussels Airlines. They reported last week uh, improved earnings in 2015. They posted a 3% operating margin. That was up from roughly break-even in 2014. Neither of those results are great, in this, especially in this cheap fuel environment. Uh, now you add that to Tuesday's attacks. Do you expect 2016 to be ruined for Brussels? Well, I mean, look, it's, you know, for a small airline with a hub and, you know, in an airport where bombs just went off and you know for a while here no flights taking off or landing and you know we know demand is going to be impacted in a in a, in a rather meaningful way to brussels i mean the, the the question about how much it'll mean you know, we were talking earlier i was talking more broadly about the transatlantic and demand within europe and all that but hard not to conclude that brussels itself won't be rather significantly impacted so yeah in terms of, of 2016 i remind i remember in the uh you know the the book that we published about Delta. There's this uh, part where uh, talking to Gordon Bethune about his uh, his day on 9/11, uh, running Continental at the time, and uh, they had gathered for uh, a meeting with executives to discuss the uh, 2002 business plan. And he said, you know, well, he said, well, I just ceremoniously threw that one in the trash can. And yeah. I, Hard to imagine Brussels Airlines right now um, doing something uh, similar. You know, they're they're going to face uh, some new challenges on top of the other challenges that they already faced. Um, you know, for example, exposure to some of the more problematic markets. I mentioned earlier, well, Ebola. I said, you know, at least financially, not the biggest deal in, a, in global terms. You know, because mostly uh, contained to Africa in terms of revenue impact. Well, guess guess where Brussels Airlines specializes in terms of their intercontinental network. You know, Africa was, was a real asset back when, you know, commodities were booming and the rest of it there. But, uh, uh, you know, they've already been dealing with that. And, and now uh, now you add to it this, uh, this awful news coming out of their hub airport. 
and Ryanair and Vueling are, you know, pose their challenges as well. They do. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's a mid-sized European airline with, with, you could say mid to small size. I mean, you're considerably smaller even than, you know, some of the other airlines that you, you might throw into that group. You know, it's, it's not SAS or anything like that in terms of scale. So, uh, yeah, hard, hard to be too optimistic for them right now. And, uh, you know, Lufthansa watches all this closely because first of all, uh, as we said, they own 45% of it. Uh, so that flows to, to Lufthansa's own bottom line. Uh, and they also have the option to buy the rest uh, uh, of the airline. They have a couple of years right now to decide whether to exercise that uh no real pressure to do it until until the last minute but uh, i think 2018 if i'm not mistaken you know so of course they would uh, you know would want to see uh, things improving before they were to make a decision like that and and uh you know none of this helps uh, yeah i mean look their summer is going to be significantly impacted uh, i think i think we can we can say that uh at least for that market relatively uh, definitively, um, but you know whether they're still suffering, uh, you know, a year out, who knows? Certainly, can't help but feel j- just awful uh, for them and and for everybody impacted by uh, by everything that happened Tuesday. And we'll wrap with that. Seth, terrific insights as always. Thanks for joining us for what's probably been our most somber episode to date. We'll be back next week, hopefully with something more upbeat, I'm sure. In that spirit, play the music and let it run long. 